Hello, and welcome back to Catching Up on Capitol Hill, a series in which we discuss the latest in tax legislation and in tax policy. I'm your host, John Gimigliano. We have been circling around the same two topics for what seems like months. The fate of the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the budget reconciliation bill. That, of course, is the vehicle for the major tax changes proposed by President Biden. And if you got all of your Washington news from this podcast, I know you don't, but let's just say you did. You might think that those two bills were the only things Congress had to deal with this fall. But of course, that's not true. Our system places many demands on the legislative branch, demands that sometimes require urgent attention. And that's the topic for today. Just a reminder of other congressional agenda items for this fall with an eye ultimately towards how those other demands might collide with or possibly aid the tax agenda. To help us with this topic, we are joined this week by Capitol Hill veterans, Carol Coolish and Tom Stout. All right, so before we get to the topic for this week, let's just go back to the thing that I'm sure many of you are wondering about. And Tom, this is a question for you. Of course, we know that the Ways and Means Committee is in the process of beginning its work, marking up the reconciliation bill. So let's just figure out where are we at this point in time in terms of the Ways and Means Committee marking up this bill that will eventually, we think at some point, have a very substantial tax title. Yeah, well, they've started the markup and they're dividing it up into pieces and you know, currently working on the spending parts of the mark because Ways and Means has jurisdiction over a number of things other than tax. And they've left the tax parts off until we think next week, which means we haven't yet seen what the chairman's mark, which is the, the proposal that they'll be working on in committee. We haven't seen that yet, and, and we expect to see that maybe over the weekend, more likely probably on Monday or so, before they start working on that in earnest next Tuesday and Wednesday, if they hold to the schedule, with a view to getting the ways and means part of the budget reconciliation package out by the 15th, which is currently the schedule. And then it goes to the budget committee to be assembled with the other parts of the reconciliation bill. So why do you think they're taking this segmented approach then, Tom? Normally you would get the chairman's mark would be the totality of the legislation to be marked up all at once. And then you would go and mark it up as you just told us. We're getting it in pieces and they're marking it up as it's coming out. So we've got some stuff this week. We think early next week we'll get another tranche of legislative text to mark that up. Do you think it's because they're writing it in real time or do you think there are other reasons why we've got the segmented approach? I think it's quite likely that they're not finished writing it yet. There's still some pre-conferencing going on with the Senate and discussions with the Treasury Department about how to do some of it, and just a lot of internal political discussions about how far to go with some of the proposals. But that being said, there's also some tactical advantage in putting out the good stuff first, the spending, and, and maybe we'll see tax credits even first, all the good stuff before the bad stuff comes with the tax increases. So you put members in the position of first having said great for the spending. Then when it comes to pay for it, they're under more pressure to accept whatever the chairman puts forth. So there could be some tactical advantage in doing it this way too. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I think we continue to hear from a number of senators that they're uncomfortable with the totality of the bill, the 3.5 trillion, they might want it smaller. And so this allows the House to continue those negotiations with their Senate counterparts as to how big this bill might be, what it might include. And because you only want to mark up something that the Senate would actually approve rather than something that would be dead on arrival in the Senate. So that seems to make sense. Important part of the dynamic here is, is 
the House is going to be reluctant to vote for stuff like tax increases that they're afraid are going to be cut back when they get to the Senate. So but that's behind a lot of the pre-conferencing. Yep. Yep. And so they're trying to conference as they go. And we know that, for example, in 2017, they did a lot of conferencing for a long time. It's an open question as to how much conferencing they've done, although we know that they're talking and working together now. So they may be able to zero in on the size of the bill and the contents of the bill as they go over the next week or two. Okay, Carol, let's just turn to our topic for today, though, and that is the busy, crowded, overwhelmingly crowded schedule that Congress has in September. So on this podcast, of course, we focus very much on the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill, because that's you know where a lot of the tax components were. But there's more than just that. Isn't that true? So what else does Congress have to deal with here in September? They've got a lot on their plate, John. Not so much a September item per se, but something that will need to be done at some point very soon, perhaps in early October, is dealing with the debt limit. Treasury Secretary Yellen has indicated that the Treasury's ability to use emergency measures to deal with the debt limit is approaching the point where it won't work anymore and that there needs to be legislation increasing the debt limit or suspending the debt limit. That that would need to be done at some point. We don't know the exact date, but at some point in October or before that point in October, I should say. One September 30th deadline that's critical is the continuing resolution to fund the government. So far, they have not passed appropriations bills to provide for government funding and The next fiscal year begins October 1. Dealing with the CR is high up on the list. And then there's the issue of if the bipartisan infrastructure framework does not become law before the end of September, they would need to do something with surface transportation authorization to be able to continue to spend money on infrastructure projects that are underway. Then there's a host of other issues that they want to deal with. We've got disaster relief, defense authorization. There's expiration of some aspects relating to the supplemental nutrition assistance program, which is what I think in the past people referred to as food stamps. And then there's a host of other policy priorities on which Democrats want to vote fairly quickly. So there's a long list of things they want to get done in very little time. It's just unbelievable how not much happened over the summer. And then all of a sudden, all these things have to happen in September. And I guess as much as anything, for the reason that you said, Carol, it's the end of the federal fiscal year, right? And many of these programs are tied to the end of the federal fiscal year. The debt limit, maybe not so much, but coincidentally or not, is sort of lined up around that too. So I don't know how they're going to get all these things done, but they usually find a way to do them, even if only temporarily before the end of September comes. So let's just then ask ourselves, we've got this long list that Carol just gave us. How critical are these things to do? Are these the things they must do or are these things they would like to do? Now, let's just start with the debt limit. How absolutely positively necessary is it that they deal with the debt limit by September 30th? By September 30th, not entirely clear. What the secretary has said is that sometime in October, she expects that we'll hit the debt ceiling. It was suspended until August. So now what Treasury is doing is employing what they call extraordinary measures, which is basically moving money around in accounts and not making transfers that it ordinarily would need to make and that kind of thing. They've done this before because we've been in a situation before. At some point, those sort of accounting games run out and real payments can't be made by the Treasury Department. We understood years ago that the Treasury Department has a contingency plan on what payments it would make and not make. We've never seen that. They've, they've sort of kept it secret. In fact, the existence of it, they don't talk much about. But, you know, there's been a lot of political gamesmanship around the debt ceiling in the past. So they, they've had to be prepared for that. 
but basically it means the federal government can't make all the payments that are due. So it's going to effectively default on something. And technically it's in default on its debt if it's not paying all its other debts currently. So it could be bad, but we don't really know exactly how bad because it hasn't happened before. <laughs> we were always going right up to the brink, but then not jumped off the cliff. So let's put this in the category of a must-do. As you correctly say, you know, is it really a September 30th must-do? Not technically, but maybe just as a practical matter, don't you think it sort of is? Because, like, all these other things are moving. We're going to talk about them, but by September 30th. So isn't it really your best chance to deal with debt limit when you're dealing with the continuing resolution and other things? That was certainly what was behind Yellen's statement. She's saying she doesn't know when this is going to happen, but it could be sometime in October and it can happen unexpectedly because they don't know about all the revenue flows in and out of the government. But obviously, the politically, what they want to do is they want to put the debt limit on this continuing resolution that Carol mentioned that keeps the government funded. Trying to get the debt limit done is always a bit of a political game because it's portrayed and, and looks to the public generally like you're spending a lot of money when all you're doing is really refinancing government debt money that's already been spent that's where the game comes in but there's a real need to do it i would imagine you know like we'll, we'll leave it to others to talk about how this vote is going to go they're going to have to get republicans to support it are they going to get republicans to support it but this is absolutely something that they've got to focus on and it seems like their best chance is to deal with it before the end of this month so okay that's an important one carol then what about the continuing resolution funding the government beyond september 30th what happens if they fail to do that well, if they fail to do that, there'll be a government shutdown until they do succeed in doing it. And we've had government shutdowns before. They create a lot of inconvenience for people. You also have federal government workers worried about whether they'll ultimately be paid for the period in which the shutdown's in effect. We have some government programs that, you know, depending upon what's considered to be sort of essential, there are some government programs that people use or benefit from or access to public parks, things of that nature that can come into play again depending upon how it's implemented. But we've seen government shutdowns in the past. I think they could be politically painful for the party in charge right now, given that Democrats control not just both chambers of Congress, but also the presidency, that politically having a government shutdown would be something they would want to try to avoid. When you have divided government, people tend to point the fingers as to who's holding things up. But in one party government, it's politically a concern. But it is something that has happened in the past. It gets a lot of news, gets a lot of press attention, get, again, not good PR for the party in charge and creates a lot of inconvenience and concerns for both for federal workers and for ordinary Americans. Yeah, unlike the debt limit, where, as Tom said, you know, there's a little bit of uncharted territory if they really don't deal with it. In the case of government shutdowns, we've been down this road before many times, and I sort of get the feeling that nobody wins, neither party, the majority party, the minority party. Nobody seems to win in a government shutdown, especially a year like this year where there's so much at stake. We've got an election year next year. It's hard to imagine either party wants to have that, at least the risk of being blamed for a shutdown. So I sort of figured they'll find a way to fund the government for some period of time. But you're right, Carol, there is a risk there that they can't figure out how to pull this off. And then there's going to be finger pointing at somebody as to whose fault it is that you have federal employees furloughed, et cetera. So be interesting yeah, to see how that one goes. 
Yeah, and I do agree with you that each party will blame the other if it happens. I think in order to try to maximize the fact that you said CR is something that can have negative ramifications for both parties and to minimize the chance that we have it, I think that's one of the reasons why they might also put stuff like disaster relief on there in the hope that that picks up a couple of Republican votes. And as Tom was saying, they almost are using the CR as an engine perhaps to pull some Republican votes on debt limit across the finish line because it is something that does negatively affect both, but there does tend to be a lot of finger pointing. And when one party controls all three branches, I think they're probably the ones that are most concerned about things not getting done while they're in charge. All right, I'm going to put continuing resolution in the must-do category for this month. So let's go to the next one on the list for you, Tom. Surface transportation reauthorization. What, what exactly does that mean again? In the federal budget process, there's first the funding, which comes from appropriations, and then there's the authorization, which is the policy end, which is how you spend the money. So, you know, we've got a surface transportation trust fund that's filled with things like excise taxes from gasoline. That money is sitting there, but in order to spend it, there has to be an authorization. The Surface Transportation Authorization Act is what does that. It effectively tells the government how to spend that money, and until that legislation is passed, it can't spend it. So we run into the situation if it's not renewed, it's usually renewed on a five-year basis because it's not usually very controversial. If it's not renewed, then workers can't get paid and projects potentially stop for a while while it doesn't happen. So it's it's, it's sort of an, an, another shutdown coming. Yeah, I think I've seen some reports showing the number of employees that would be furloughed if we had this. So not only would you have these highway projects stop, you'd also have people basically laid off until they reauthorized the funding. So that's kind of a big deal of the stopping of projects and laying people off. So what do you think? This is a must do? You know, I put it in the must do category. It's not something that's usually very controversial, except it's gotten wrapped up in the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill now. So pulling it out of there, you know, sort of changes the dynamic of that a little bit. So it's, right. it's a little more complicated. Yeah, it is complicated. We've talked before about, well, do we really think we're going to get this bipartisan infrastructure bill voted on by the 27th? Lots of reasons to be skeptical. We'll see. But if they don't, you're right. They're going to have to strip it out of the bipartisan infrastructure bill and move it over, I guess, into the CR, along with everything else, to have the surface transportation extended as well. This was supposed to be the thing that forced the vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill before the end of the month. And now we can see it moved out of that and moved in over to the CR. Okay. Yep. Carol, how about some of the disaster stuff? Is this must-do or would like to do by the end of the month? <laughs> well, to people who are affected by disasters, I'm sure they perceive it as must-do. But in the broader scheme of things, I think it's something that they would like to do. You know, there's been disasters on both coasts. You've got the recent hurricanes. You've also had fires. There's a focus even on some 2020 storms that hit Louisiana hard, combined with Hurricane Ida most recently. So I think it's something that is high on the list of some members of Congress, but it's not something like the debt limit where you see the possibility of default or continuing resolution. It's not something of that magnitude where you, you see the whole government shut down. It's just something that I think is important for obvious reasons to particular members of Congress who represent constituencies that have been affected by disasters. I agree with you on that. I guess the only other point I'd make is that if you're one of those members of Congress, you know, from 
Louisiana or from California that really want this done, you've got to be looking at this saying there's never going to be a better chance than getting it attached to the continuing resolution. And if we're not in that continuing resolution, what's the next vehicle that they're going to get attached to? So I'm sure they're going to push really hard to get it attached by the end of the month, right? Right. And it's also something that can be used to get votes again, especially if they combine, as they're talking of doing the debt limit, the CR and disaster relief, if they combine those in one bill, that can be something that can help garner some bipartisan support since they're going to need the 60 votes in the Senate. Good point. Well, let's come back to then our general topic. Let's get, you know, the things that we normally talk about, which are the tax bills, in particular, the reconciliation bill and the bipartisan bill. So how do all the things we just talked about that have to be done, or at least would like to be done by the end of the month, how do those interconnect back with the tax agenda. It's complicated, isn't it? So we've already talked about how the highway trust fund reauthorization is attached to the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which in its own way is attached to the reconciliation bill. Just to lay this out there, do any of these things that we just mentioned as must do, do they make the tax bills more or less likely, or do we think that they're really going to move on their own track? Well, I think they move on their own track, but they're both a distraction on the one hand, because Congress does have to deal with some of these things for the reasons I mentioned. But in addition to that, they are an excuse for not moving more quickly on the reconciliation bill, which probably not going to be ready by September 27th or October 1st. So, you know, focusing on these other things is, gives them an excuse, a ready excuse for not making that October 1st date. You're absolutely right, Tom. It can be a distraction. I mean, you think about it. Yes, Congress can generally walk and chew gum at the same time. There are multiple committees of jurisdiction here, so they're doing their own thing. But at the leadership level, Speaker Pelosi's office, leadership staff, can they really manage all the things we just rattled off that they have to do, plus manage a tax bill? I'm not sure. It's going to be a distraction. It's going to be a challenge for them. So I agree. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out this year. Carol, uh, what do you think about how all these pieces might fit together by the end of the month? Yeah, I just think when you look at the clock, we're recording this on September 9th. The end of the month is one, two, three weeks away. There's just a lot to do. And I absolutely agree they can walk and chew gum. They've done issues like the debt limit, the CR before. A lot of the issues are are political issues, getting people on board. It's doable, but there just really isn't that much time. So there is some, just even in terms of like floor consideration, again, they can do all this, but it, it just adds to the degree of difficulty. Putting together this budget reconciliation bill in short order is already an extraordinarily difficult task given the politics within the Democratic Party and the thin margins in the House, the 50-50 Senate. And then you layer on to it the need to get support, put together this other bill and to take the time to consider it in both the House and the Senate. I just think it adds another dimension of difficulty. It's doable, but it just adds another dimension of difficulty to an already challenging process. Well, we've got three weeks or so for this to all play out, and I'm sure it is going to be eventful. So, And I'm sure we'll be talking about it more. So that's all we have time for today. Uh, Carol and Tom, thank you very much. In closing, let me just come back to how we opened. Stepping back from looking at the world through our tax-tinted glasses and remind ourselves how many competing demands there are on the legislative agenda. On this podcast, we generally only talk about the tax writing committees, ways and means in the House, Senate finance in the Senate, but there are, of course, many other committees. We've got the Agriculture Committee, Appropriations, Armed Services, Budget, Education and Labor, Energy and Commerce, Ethics, Financial Services, Foreign Affairs, Homeland Security, Judiciary, Natural Resources, to just name a very few. And think about it. Each of those committees has a chairman, 
a member of Congress who has no doubt waited many years to chair a committee, climbed the committee hierarchy rung by rung from freshman newbie to finally, ultimately holding the gavel. That member has plans and an agenda, things she would like to accomplish as chair. And what about the staff, many of whom have left higher paying jobs in the private sector to work on Capitol Hill? There are certainly things they want to accomplish during their time in government. So you see, there are always more legislative priorities than there is legislative bandwidth. Moving legislation through the House takes time, even wildly popular legislation. And moving through this legislation through the Senate, that takes even more time, sometimes a lot more time. And that's what makes this 10-car pileup in September that we talked about today all the more notable. Congress just doesn't often have the ability to move so many legislative items in so short of a time. But you know, members of Congress, they aren't so different from you and me. And there is a dynamic at play that I think all of us can relate to, and that is working on deadline. We all know that a deadline has a way of focusing the mind, pushing aside the extraneous, and getting us to yes. So get ready for a lot of yes by September 30th, but ask yourself this. Once the calendar ticks over to October 1st, what is the next deadline? With that, thanks again for tuning in to Catching Up on Capitol Hill. Please don't forget to submit your questions, comments, and suggestions to our inbox. Take care, and I hope to see you soon.